You're listening to a Soul Fire Productions podcast. Can I just say wow? Just wow. Hello and welcome back to the show and get ready to just say wow. Today's guest, Julie Ryan, is so magical. This episode is really cool because as she was talking, I felt like I was being guided by such a mom and such a grounded, real, funny mom. And in the spirituality community, we can all find ourselves taking ourselves a little too seriously and get so far out in the clouds that we make no sense anymore. And I love this conversation with Julie because she keeps it real. She keeps it grounded. And she has really simple, easy things you can implement into your own life to ease anxiety, to understand what happens when people die, to get better connected with your guides. I mean, she just really covers it all in such a beautiful way that a lot of people in this space, they're just not taking this approach. And I think that's why she really stands out. So Julie Ryan is a medical intuitive amongst many other things. She's an entrepreneur, an inventor, an author of so many books. We will be sure to link everything she does in the show notes, including her podcast, Ask Julie Ryan, because she just is a wealth of knowledge. We get into what happens when someone dies before, when their soul leaves, what it looks like after, do they walk into the light, all that stuff. I ask her these questions because of my own experience. We connected when my mom was passing away and I just thought, oh wow, this is a perfect time to have someone like you on to get into this. And so at the end, Julie actually does a live reading for me. And I ask her some questions that I have had for my mom since she died. And it was really, really eye-opening and brought me a lot of peace. And if you've never talked to a medium or a medical intuitive, this is a really great way for you to see what that conversation could potentially look like. And if you want to work with Julie, I absolutely recommend it. She is phenomenal and really puts you at ease and is such a a welcoming, loving energy into this space. So before we get into this episode with Julie, I just wanted to let you guys know that my program will be closing soon. Her Truth is only open for one more week and then this is it. It will not be running again. I will not have this program moving forward. So if you are someone who has really been looking to ask yourself the hard questions, to get radically honest, to break free of programming and step outside the box, to find your truth, to connect with your body and your sexuality, and to emerge and to rise and to own the space, to take up more space, this program is absolutely created just for you. So every month, you will actually be able to do this at your own pace. I scheduled this out for about a four-month program, but you can do this as quickly or as slowly as you would like. There are no rules because we are letting go of all the rules. Isn't that amazing? So this program includes guided audio lessons, 
meditations and connecting with your body and self-pleasure audio and a journal that I curated just for you with prompts and guides so that you don't feel like, what am I supposed to write right now? I list it out for you so that you really feel like you have someone supporting you along the way. And this is just a beautiful space for you to connect back with yourself. So if you are interested at all, again, this is closing in a week. You can go to kellytenant.com slash her dash truth to sign up now. All right, let's get to Miss Julie. Julie, thank you so much for being with me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. I'm so excited because when we connected, it was interesting timing with the passing of my mom. And I've actually never had a medical intuitive on the show or even talked to one in my life. Um, So I would love to just start with an explanation around what it means to be a medical intuitive. Well, it's being able to utilize energy fields to help diagnose and facilitate diagnose situations, medical situations and using energy to help facilitate healing. Okay. So as I know, it's a lot of scanning. So you go through the body and you kind of feel into what's happening. So do you get visuals or do you hear things or you feel what's happening in someone's body? All of the above. And I get what I call divine downloads in my head. So I'm an inventor of surgical devices sold throughout the world, Kelly, and I'm an entrepreneur. I have founded nine companies in five industries in 30 years. So I am not one of those psychics who's had dead people chasing her since childhood. <laughs> or if I did, I Lucky didn't you. know it, let alone what I would have done with that information. And so I learned how to do all of this. And now I teach people all over the world, including doctors and other medical providers and all walks of life people, uh, how to do what I do. It, we all come in with the ability, it's learning to develop it and enhance it. So the first time you realized you could do this, what was that like? Well, I'd been studying it. I paid the equivalent of getting an MD or a PhD and I studied it for six years and that was 30 years ago. So now I've condensed it into a four week class that I teach online, eight hours total. I mean, you know how I use the analogy, I talk in analogies a lot just to give our human minds a frame of reference and And I say, you know how we had the carrier pigeon and then we had Morse code and then we, you know, I mean, and now we have cell phones and now we can talk at our computers and all of that. It's just, it all comes together. But when I first started seeing things in my mind's eye, I'm visual, I'm a visual learner. So that's how information comes in first for me. If I'm scanning somebody on a medical scan, Uh, I started seeing what reminded me of a blueprint was like a grid of the body with blue lines. Well, come to find out, fast forward a couple of decades, that 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 is Einstein's string theory that I was seeing. That's what physicists call it. And it's hair thin blue lines. But when I scan somebody now, I connect with them energetically and it's as if I'm looking at an x-ray or a CT scan or an MRI. And I can see in my mind's eye, broken bones, torn ligaments, viral infections, bacterial infections. You know, all of that. We were talking about my son being in sports a minute ago. And especially if his his alma mater, the University of Alabama, is playing a game and somebody's injured on the field, he's texting me going, Mom, what's going on? What's, <laughs> you know, tell me what's happening. I'll say, oh, he's got a torn meniscus or he's got, he blew out his hammy or something. And uh, 
So I can scan them, you know, scan people real time anywhere in the world and see, see all these things that you would see on an x-ray or CT scan or an MRI. And oftentimes I will even see diseases like cancer that has metastasized to other parts of the body before it shows up on the scans as we know them. And patients will say, well, no, I just had a PET scan and I don't have it in my lungs. And then they'll email me a couple months later and say, yeah, you were right. You know, it wow. has, it has moved there. So it's really remarkable what we have the capability to do. So I'm curious because I, I'm sure so many people have looked at you like you're crazy. There's no way you could possibly see what's happening in my body. And you're sitting here like, I just see it. I don't know what else to tell you. This is what's coming forward for me. And I feel that I need to share it with you. How did you navigate that, especially early on when you started working with people and and not trying to convince them, but just knowing what I know is to be true. And if they believe it or not, that's okay. Great question. Initially, I was afraid to go public, go out of the, get out of the closet with it. And, uh, and I work with a lot of families who have a loved one who's dying and I can tell how close to death the person is and I can communicate with the person, even if they can't communicate. And one of my, my main spirit guide is a dead Pope named Pope Clement the sixth. And that's another funny story, but he was prodding me to get this information out about what happens when somebody dies. And I said, I am not doing that. I'm a businesswoman and people are going to think I'm nuts. It's going to hurt my businesses. And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Everything you've done in your life is going to prepare you for this. He showed up one day and then I Googled him, Kelly, and I found out he was in office during the bubonic plague, during the black plague, when two thirds of Europe died. And he's best known for his prayers for the dying and his prayers for the dead. And I thought, all right, Ryan, you can't make this stuff up. So that's really what led me to come out of the closet with all of these abilities that I was just interested in. I didn't think I'd ever do anything with it. And then I thought, well, I've got to, if I'm supposed to teach the world about what happens when somebody dies, I got to bring them in under something else. That's a little less, you know, it's not like people are going to be out there looking for, okay, what happens when we die? Right. Let's do something that's more interesting. And once we communicate with spirit and we're able to validate the communication we get, then you have access to universal intelligence and you can take it anywhere you want. So that's why I laugh and I say I'm a buffet of psychicness because <laughs> I can scan you medically. I can scan your pet. I can, you know, tell how close to death somebody is. We could do past life stuff, spirit guide stuff, talks to, talk to the deceased level. I mean, the whole, the whole thing. It's like if you teach somebody how to read, they can access anything they want in the written word. This is the same concept. If I can help someone communicate with spirit, they have access to universal intelligence and they can find out whatever they want. So did you get all of this ability at once or was it layer by layer? You started to realize, Oh, I can look into past lives. Oh, I can scan a pet. Now I can do this, that, and the other. Yes, it was the latter. I first started because I was interested in medical stuff because I was in the medical hospital supply business for 30 years. And and I'm an, as I said, I'm an inventor of surgical devices and I had a manufacturing company where I made and sold and distributed around the world. My inventions are still sold globally. Some of them have been on the market for 30 years. So I was always interested in medical stuff. 
And then when I found out that there were such things as medical intuitives, I had never heard that word before. And I heard it the first time about a woman named Carolyn Mace, mm-hmm. who a friend gave me her book. And then I saw her on Oprah very shortly thereafter. This was 30 was, years ago. Yeah, I was going to say this is like the 90s, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the 90s. Exactly. When we used to tape it on a VCR, <laughs> you know, I'd work and then I'd watch Oprah at the end of the day when I'd come home. And, uh, and so I thought, what the heck is a medical intuitive? And then I found out and I thought, hmm, I want to know more. Back then, Kelly, we didn't have the internet yet. So I did the old fashioned thing and I went to a bookstore uh, and I went to a Barnes and Noble and I thought, I'm just going to see if there's anything else about this. And I found a book called Hands of Light by Barbara Brennan, who's a former NASA physicist who took very complex quantum physics principles and distilled them into understandable language that a non-scientific mind, that would be me, uh, a non-scientific mind could understand. And so I read her book and I wanted to know more. So I called her school, which was in on Long Island at the time. And I said, Hey, you have anybody teaching this stuff in my area? And sure enough, they did. And that woman is still my mentor 30 years later. No way. Wow. She said she's about 80 now. She's pushing 80. So when she took you under her wing, what did that relationship look like? I took classes from her. As I mentioned, I studied with her for six years, three years studying energy, healing, And then three years studying Kabbalistic healing, the Jewish mysticism healing, which interestingly enough about that is there are a lot of schools of thought that believe, you know how the Bible with Jesus, the New Testament, it it has a break from the age of about 12 to 30. It's like, okay, what was he doing during, you know, all that time? And there are a lot of schools of thought that he was in Egypt and that he learned a lot of this Kabbalistic healing technique and that that helped with him with his miracles. And is that what happened? It's feasible, certainly. Yeah. And uh, so it's so powerful that it was only taught orally. Even now it's not written. It's only taught orally to rabbis over 40 who are married. Well, I didn't fall into any of those categories, but, but studied that for three years. And then I've obviously over the years put everything together and come up with my own techniques and, and methodologies. Cause I'm an entrepreneur. Like, exactly. You You know, we got (laughs) to do it our own way. Well, you know, what's interesting to me too, is I've had so many people on the show who are able to use so many different modalities of healing and they eventually do what you have done and create sort of their own compilation that resonates with them as you were doing that i don't i don't even know what that would be like but how did you find a way to put all these pieces together in a way that made sense to you that you could then support other people in their healing journeys they really came in on their own and i and it was it was definitely being led I think we're all led in where our life path is taking us. And, and the days of my parents, certainly when you went to school and you got a job and you stayed with that company for your whole career, my father was with the phone company for 40 years and, and he, that was his career and that's what they did back then. 
I think now we're led and we'll get an idea in our, in our head and we'll say, oh, well, that's interesting. Let me look at that. If you would have talked to me even 10 years ago, even seven years ago, that I'd be doing this full time, I would have said, no, way. no, that's not going to happen. But I sold my medical device manufacturing company five years ago. And I thought, well, I had a couple of other companies still going and I thought, well, yeah, I guess I can kind of semi-retire, but that's kind of boring. So I'm just going to see what happens with this woo-woo stuff. (laughs) That's what I said. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and look at where you are now. And so I think, I think we're all led in things that we're interested in. And that's how, you know, you're in alignment with your spirit, because if you're interested, it's something that's a high vibe you know, it feels good because you want to know more and you want to know more and it's fun and all of that. And then you just go where you're led. So that's what's been happening to me. And my whole life, Kelly, has been the people I need to show up, show up when I need them. And I just, it's happened so often that I just trust it. Case in point, may I tell you a quick story? Please. I was flying into LA, this was a few years ago, and my GYN, my OBGYN, I lived in LA for a long time. So my same doctor was in LA for, you know, 15 years. I lived there in 15 years and I'm still seeing her. So I'm there on business. She's meeting me in her office on Mother's Day in Santa Monica, where you used to live. Her office was right across the street from Santa Monica Hospital. You know where it is on 15th. Yep. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to stop at Trader Joe's or someplace and get her flowers because she was a mom and she was coming in on Mother's Day to see me because that was the only day I could see her. Plane was late. Long story short, I've got the appointment. I'm texting her. You know, her family is waiting for her to go out to dinner for Mother's Day. So I didn't have time to stop. And I thought, well, I'm going to see if maybe there are some flowers at LAX because I'd pick up a car and all that jazz. I get off the plane. I'm telling you, I'm in the airport less than five minutes. I walk by this woman. She's carrying this big bouquet of flowers in her arms. She was like Miss America. Weren't roses. It was glads and other stuff. And I said, oh, your flowers are beautiful. Happy Mother's Day. And she said, here, take them. And I said, well, no, 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 you enjoy them. She said, I'm flying to New York. They're going to be such a hassle for me on the plane. If you can enjoy them, please take them. And I took them and I gave them to my doctor. It happened within 10 minutes of me thinking, gosh, I hope there are flowers in the airport I can get to take to my doctor. So I think that's a great example of the power we have to manifest things, number one. And number two, I think it's great validation about how the people we need to show up, show up when we need them and just to trust that. And when you trust that they do, it happens. I was actually going to ask you about trust next. So speaking of manifesting things, it's really funny you brought up that story. I think that's where I am right now. I'm, I have been on a journey of learning to trust myself, but it's very prevalent now that my mom has passed because we had such a codependent relationship and I relied on her to tell me how to live every moment of my life for 27 years. And the last few years I had sort of pulled back a little bit and started to realize that I was always looking externally for someone to tell me what to do or how to be or how to operate and live my life. And I think that's where I got to a breaking point in my career is because I was just doing everything for everyone else. And I had no idea who I was. I didn't recognize myself. I'm like, how did I get here? What's happening? And the last really six months has been a journey of learning to trust myself and realize that 
I know what's best for me and I know that I am being divinely guided. And when I surrender and let go, that is when things truly fall into alignment. And man, is that one of the hardest lessons? And I think, especially as a woman, that's one of the hardest things because we're not taught to trust ourselves from a young age. We're taught to trust men and to be led by them and to be guided and to follow what other people do and to listen to our elders and to our teachers. But there's never this sort of conversation around, well, listen to your body and what is, what does your body want and what is really calling you? So how did your journey with trust look? Trial and error, a lot of trial and error where I am now. And what I teach is if you have a thought that feels good, you're in alignment with your spirit, which is a high vibe. If you have a thought that feels bad, you're out of alignment and you're, you're, vibrating in a sense of fear, whether you recognize it or not. And fear of loss is what we all worry about. But 99.9% of fear is fake. It's fake news, false. So there's rational fear and there's irrational fear. Irrational fear is most of what holds us back from doing something. And our heads are big satellite dishes, Kelly, and they receive and they transmit frequencies. Every thought has a frequency. Thoughts do not originate in our heads. We pull them in from the ethers. And we we all are hardwired for fear. We're waiting for the saber-toothed tiger to come around the corner and eat us for lunch. Well, he hadn't been alive for millions of years. But we still are hardwired for fear. So if you think about it, we've all, you know, most days or at least a couple times a week, most of us will be like, Oh my gosh. Well, let's talk about this Corona stuff. Oh my gosh. If, especially when it first came out, if I touch that surface and then I get the virus on my hand and then I scratch my nose and then I get it in my sinuses and then, you know, I get sick and there isn't a hospital bed for me and God forbid there isn't a ventilator and then I'm going to die. And then if I don't die, I could be sick and I could lose my job and then I'm going to be homeless and starving and I'll die as a homeless, starving person on the street. I mean, really? But that's where our brains go. Because we're on the frequency of those thoughts. So what we want to do is we want to disrupt that frequency. And I've come up with this trick. I call it the two-minute rule. Here's how it goes. The two-minute rule is when you're thinking that, oh, my God, what if? You ask yourself, is this going to kill me in the next two minutes? If it is, change the conditions. If you're in the middle of the road and a truck's (laughs) heading towards you, get out of the road. If it's not, it's fake. It's fake news. It's false. And once you disprove it to your brain, it lessens the fear and it lets you take a step forward. The next question is, after you ask that is, how is this benefiting me? I just used this a couple of days ago in Costco. I'm social distancing. I'm like 20th in line. All the cashiers were full. I'm thinking, it is going to take me an hour to get out of this place. And I thought, really, is this going to kill you in the next two minutes? No. How is this benefiting me? Well, I don't know. Right at that moment, Kelly, I remembered something I hadn't gotten. So I asked the guy behind me if he would save my place in line. And he did. And I ran and got it. And I still had time before I got up to the cash register. So it all benefits us. The other thing that it does is we want to disrupt that frequency of those thoughts we're bringing in. So many schools of thought are send it love and let it go. Watch it fly away. Well, you're still on the same damn frequency, <laughs> yeah. right? 
you're resisting. What do we get when we resist? We're still on that frequency. So we're going to attract what we're resisting. You want to break that frequency. Telling you the two minute rule, it is golden in every situation. And it's free and it's convenient because it's with you wherever your brain is. And your brain's usually with you wherever you are. I love that because when you start going down that path, you are spiraling into anxiety and panic and nothing makes sense. And that's because it doesn't make sense. That's right. (laughs) Because you're at a low vibration. You can't get in, you can't get inspiration from spirit at a low vibration because spirit's a high vibration. So you've got to be at least neutral. I would say stay in Switzerland, stay neutral (laughs) and, and neutral at least is you can access divine guidance. And that's what's happening when we have an idea to look at something and it feels good or it's interesting. That's divine guidance coming in. That's spirit talking to you. Sounds like a thought in your head, feels like a thought in your head. That's spirit. When you're feeling anger, depression, anxiety, you know, whatever, boredom, those are all low vibration thoughts. You want to change that frequency. Ask yourself, is this going to kill me in the next two minutes if I'm bored because I'm sequestered at home during COVID? You know, which tells you it's a false fear. And then you can move forward. As soon as you ask that question, you go to curiosity, you raise your vibrational level. You've broken that connection. Okay. I want to expand upon that because something I've been teaching a lot about and the way I describe it is, you know, we're all kind of in this box for so much of our lives. And then we realize that there's something outside the box and it's a little scary, but it's also exciting. And we're getting curious about it. And all the things that you want are outside this box. And yes, there could be fear out there or danger that you believe is out there, but there's also everything you ever wanted and more. And so where I think a lot of us get caught is taking that step because it is scary and there is anxiety in that because it's the unknown. But at the same time, you're taking yourself towards something that you may feel called to, or that is meant for you. So what do we do when we're in that situation where it's the unknown, where we are curious and we want to lean in, but we're like, "Uh, I don't know what this is going to be like. You're in fear as soon as you go to that place. I don't know. When you feel that hesitation, you're in fear. Use the two minute rule, snap you out of it. Same thing. How is this, you know, is this going to kill me in the next two minutes? If I take a step and I try this, is it going to kill me in the next two minutes? It's it's not, is it going to kill me, you know, eventually? Like if you drink gasoline, is it going to kill you? Yeah. So don't do it. But if I... You know, if I eat junk food for the next 20 years, could that kill me? Well, it could help, but it's not going to kill you in two minutes. So you move forward. You break that fear. 99.9% of fears are rational. Okay. In case you missed it, we have the most incredible partner for this show. And I'm more than excited and over the moon because this is a brand I have been using for years, years and years and years. And we got to the point where we have been able to create a partnership. And I'm so excited because for me, the products I use are game changers and I don't fuck around with random supplements and random things I put in drinks or random teas. I have learned in 15 years of being sick and dealing with chronic illness that you have to be very particular and hold really high standards for what you're putting in your body. 
period. So I have been using Organifi for so long because it helps with my inflammation. It helps me get so many nutrients and superfoods into my body in a very readily available form. And I don't have to think about it. I'm not having to juice a ton, which I'm really bad at being consistent with. And it's just something I can drop a scoop into cold water, hot water, blend, shake, and there you are. I'm getting so many of the nutrients I know my body needs. And right now, I'm off caffeine completely. I have had this rash since February and between mold and caffeine, it is just awful. And I'm tired of it. And I realized that it was caffeine and coffee causing the problem. So I went off cold turkey and here we are. And I have increased my use of the Organifi Gold tenfold. I mean, I'm talking every single morning, it's all I drink. And then in the afternoon, Sometimes I'll have that as well, or I'll have one of their red juices um, to increase the blood flow and beat that afternoon crash. But the gold is incredible because it has nine superfoods for deep sleep and recovery. There is no caffeine in it, and it has turmeric, mushrooms, lemon balm, and ginger. So all things that are really healing and supportive for cleansing and detoxing, which is totally what I need right now. Obviously my poor face and skin. So I make this every morning with hot water, drop it in the blender with coconut butter. This is Connor's creation, so I can't take credit for it, but it is so good and it is thick and rich and foamy and creamy and just such a great, um, nourishing feeling when I drink it. And I, I mean, it's summer still and I'm drinking it and it's 95 degrees outside. It's so good. So I'm really excited to be able to offer you guys a discount. If you've never tried Organifi, I highly recommend any one of their products. Starting with gold is my personal preference. So that's where I would go. But if you go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, com. Use the code Kelly T at checkout and you will get 15% off. And let me know if you come up with any cool concoctions because I might steal your recipe. All right, let's get back to Julie. So as you have worked in a space with people who are dying or helping loved ones connect with people who are, who have passed, fear is so much ingrained in death the people who are dying, the people who are around them. So how do you support those conversations knowing that fear is so often the driving force and that that is a low vibrational frequency? I talked to them about what I wrote about in my book, Angelic Attendance, which is when we're dying, all of us were surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones and the spirits of deceased pets. So it gives a glorious component to a heart-wrenching situation when we're doing that. Most of us, when we're going through that, not only are we having trouble with it for our loved ones, but we're faced with our own mortality at that point. You know, we're not cognizant of it perhaps, but, but we're going to be there someday. And so it makes us think of that. And when I talk to people about what I call the 12 phases of transition, which is a configuration of angels and how that changes as someone is approaching death, it, it really helps lessen that fear and it gives a glorious, it resonates with people. It gives a glorious component to, and this is what my spirit guide, Pope Clement was on my case to do. And 
quite frankly, it took several years till I got enough golden ovary courage to do something about it. You know, guys have brass balls, girls have golden ovaries. I've never heard that, but I love that. Oh yeah. You got to have golden ovary courage. And I live in Alabama. I live in Birmingham. And I thought, I live in the deep South. I'm going to have these guys on horseback, like with white sheets over their heads, burning across in my front yard. But the thing that's so interesting about this book, once I first put it out, I was reluctant, but then I finally just got over myself and said, all right, I'm just going to do it. And it has been so well received, Kelly, to the point where it's used in Sunday school classes around the country. It's used in synagogues. My Catholic parish where we go to church gives a copy of the book to every family that comes in to plan a funeral. Wow. It's really been remarkable what's happened. And the nice thing too, is there are other books, one book in particular, Death is, or, uh, Dying is a Dream, I think is what's called. Um, no, dream, Dreams of Dying, I think it's what it's called by Dr. Chris Kerr, K-E-R-R. Uh, he's a hospice director at the, at, in Buffalo. And he did research with the University of Buffalo. Everything he talks about in my book that he has research about, 88, almost 90% of his over 2,000 patients, he's studied see deceased loved ones, see angel spirits, see spirits of deceased loved pets. It's like his book validates from a university research setting what my book validates in his book from a woo-woo side of the equation. It's remarkable how the two go together. And so I give both of those books to people or I tell them about them and it just brings so much comfort. Do you think that's because the way I have felt in this whole process is that there's so many books on so many things and we, we are equipped over time for so many different experiences in life, but death is just one thing that people don't talk about. There aren't tools and resources for, and it just doesn't seem like something that we're, we're guided through. So it seems like when you do that, you're one of the only people that have probably ever talked to them about it. I am. And, and Dr. Kerr in his book, he talks about how medicine totally avoids it. I mean, doctors aren't trained for this at all. Hospice people are wonderful. Yes. And they're trained. And and in most hospice literature, it talks about expect your loved one to say they're seeing deceased relatives, perhaps who've been dead for decades. And grandma's not hallucinating. Grandma's got one foot in the human world and one foot in the spirit world. And she's actually seeing the people she's talking about and they're actually seeing animals, but you're up, you're right. And the first time I saw this 12 phases of transition is what I've coined it was when my own mother was dying in 2002 and being raised Catholic, 12 years of Catholic schools, lots of Catholic funerals over my lifetime. There's a prayer said at the end of every Roman Catholic funeral called in paradisum, which in Latin means your loved ones and the angels will greet you and lead you into paradise. That's what it talks about. So after I'd gone through all of this with my mother and seen all this for the first time, I was at her funeral and I thought, holy Moses, this is what, this is what I just saw happen. And when I was writing my book, I researched it and I discovered that in Paradisum originated as a fifth century Gregorian chant. And so I have to believe that since the beginning of time that people have been able to see these transitions that I'm seeing in my mind's eye. And perhaps it took till the fifth century till someone was well-educated enough 
that they could read and write. Who were the most well-educated people? There were men in monasteries and synagogues. They were the keepers of history of their records of, you know, they could read and write. And I think as we've become more well-educated as a culture, certainly in the Western cultures, we've become more proof-based. And so we've lost a lot of, we've discounted a lot of our intuitive abilities as we've become more well-educated as a culture. Certainly in the indigenous cultures, they, they're, they don't shy away from death. That's as much part of living as, you know, everyday life is. Why do you think we're so scared to die in the Western culture? Because religions and civilizations have talked to us about hell and demons and that kind of thing. Our, our pastor at our parish one time in his sermon, he said, this, this was the final catalyst for me to release the angelic attendance, honest to God. From the pulpit, he said, would it be nice if somebody really could tell us if when we die, if we fly or fry? Oh, my. <laughs> he coined it perfectly. And it's because it's fear's been used to control the masses since the beginning of time. It's being used today in every culture. And so we are afraid. And so that's what Pope Clement was on my rear end to get this information out there. Everybody goes to heaven. Nobody dies alone ever. And that movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Did you ever see that when you were little? Same thing. All people go to heaven too. So there is no hell. There are no demons. That's all been concocted to control the masses throughout the the generations. And now it's, you know, it's what the movie business and the publishing business and the, the entertainment industry, because they get people to experience an emotion of fear. And uh, so, if, so they sell a lot of books and movies that way. Yeah, absolutely. So I love this because I've never had anyone just straight out say it on the show. So this is so great. But this is sort of what I've been grappling with, too. And of course, when someone close to you dies, you start really thinking about like, OK, so when you your soul leaves, what does the passage look like and how does this happen? And I always I have always thought there's no way there's a hell. Like, I just don't believe that. I don't. I don't believe sinning is going to send you to hell or just because you did something bad that you're eternally going to be burning with the devil. I just don't get that. I do, however, believe in like dark spirits and entities. So I'm curious your take on that and how that plays into things, especially if you do have, uh, if there's like a hold on you by a dark spirit or entity and what that looks like when you're transitioning. Not possible. First of all. Okay. No, no spirit is more powerful than we are in our bodies. Number one, number two, there aren't, there is no such thing as evil spirits, evil entities. They're a low vibration and how we're interpreting it in our human minds through our frame of reference is through a negative emotion. Mm. Case in point, one of my best friends had a situation before I met her, uh, where this was probably 25, 30 years ago, where she was sitting in her living room and there was, she said there was an evil spirit coming through my front door. And she said, it looked like a gargoyle. I mean, it was really scary and it was big. She said, I had these big wooden double front, you know, front doors. (laughs) And 
her son had a golf club. Give me an umbrella stand next to the front door. So she got up and she got the golf club and she said, don't you even think about coming into my house? And it left. So she's telling me about it years later. And I said, well, I want an evil spirit. She goes, well, it sure as heck looked like one to me. And I, and so I can do instant replays in my head. Oh, wow. On anything. And so I went back to that and, and she was sitting there with me and, and I described what was going on. Well, what was happening was spirits vibrated at a really high rate, Kelly, and our reality is very dense. So I use the analogy of trying to run an electrical current through a bowl of pudding. It's going to slow it down because of the density of the pudding. Same thing with our vibration. When our spirits attach to a body, we vibrate more slowly just because the body has mass. So spirits vibrate very fast. And when they're coming through something dense, like a, a thick wooden front door, they get distorted looking, kind of like the old, you know, the old movies you'd see where a bank robber would put a pair of pantyhose over their face mm-hmm. to distort the way that they looked. And that's what was happening. So we went back and we did an instant replay. Well, come to find out, this was a spirit who was a ghost who was looking for his daughter and his daughter had reincarnated as my friend's daughter. Okay. And so we got information about what his name was, where he lived, what was going on. I've got it. I can send it to you. I mean, the story is great, all the details, but we were able to corroborate the information we got with historical documents. No way. Oh yeah. Past life stuff is so fun because we can do that a lot. But another uh, situation was my, uh, another friend was at her mother's house on Thanksgiving and she and her sister were in the kitchen cooking with their mother and her mom had all these antique utensils on the wall, like on the side of the cabinet. They watched them come off the wall and fall on the countertop. And they're all like, holy Moses, what is this? And so they're telling me about it the next day. So of course I go do an instant replay. Again, it's, it's a spirit looking for a deceased loved one who the spirit doesn't know they're dead. And so we got the name, we got the, um, that he lived on that property on a farm that was now their housing development, their mother's housing development in the neighborhood she lived in. They were able to go back and see the deed, find the deed. It was the guy's name on the deed of the property. It's amazing the stuff we can find. So evil spirits don't exist. We interpret them through our frame of reference and our frame of reference is what? Horror movies. Exactly. Scary TV shows, books that we've read gargoyles on buildings, you know, that stuff has all come in through an interpretation of something meant to look scary to help control the masses. And it doesn't exist. Spirit is pure love. So spirits. Okay. Okay. I want to go a little further on this because you're blowing my mind right now. No one's ever said this before to me. So they're not evil. Can they have I don't know, like bad intentions or like a darkness about them? No, no. All spirits are pure love. The most awful person you can think of who's ever lived, Attila the Hun, Hitler, whomever, their spirit is pure love. All that evil stuff, all that snarkiness stays with the body when somebody dies. We have right and wrong in our human existence. We need to, to survive. Right. But there isn't that in the spirit world. 
there's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. It's all just neutral. It's all just an experience. So we look at somebody like a Hitler and we think, oh, he's burning for eternity in hell. No, his spirit went to heaven with everybody else's because it was just an experience that he had. It was an experience that his Gestapo guys had in this lifetime. And we live many, many lifetimes. And what I find is that oftentimes there's a basic script that will will explore through multiple lifetimes. For instance, you want to be a creator. You're a creator. Well, okay. There are a bazillion ways you can be a creator, right? And so maybe in a past life, you were the mother of a creator and you were helping your child create. So you were creating a child that was being a creator. And maybe in another lifetime, you were a Uh, You know, you climb Mount Everest because you wanted to be a creator and see what that was all about. So something that I use that I think helps bring it into perspective is the Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper movie, A Star is Born. Mm -hmm. That was out a couple of years ago. That was a fourth remake of that movie. Yes. I saw Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson in it when I was in high school in the 70s. Same script, different timeline, different cast of characters few different nuances, same basic script. So we'll see that. So for instance, a Hitler type figure, maybe he was persecuted in a past life. Maybe he was the mother of, or the father of, or the child of, or the, you know, whatever of. In this round, he wanted to see what it was like to be the persecutor. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we look at it from different perspectives. Spirit world, everything's neutral. It's just an experience. And we expand out each time we do it, not only in each lifetime, which we do, but in everything we've done in our lifetimes. I mean, you've had different careers. I've had a whole lot of different experiences in business and we create out from each time that we do it and we expand. We can't go backwards. We can only go forward. And how do we create? We're here to create all of us. We know what we don't want. So we create what we do want. Wow. Does that make sense? Yes. And my mind is just blown. This is so interesting. It's a different perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've had, I've had experiences with like ghosts and angels and entities and spirits around me. And I, I feel like I have a distinct different feeling from when there is like a uplifting supportive energy in my field versus um, we were staying, my girlfriends and I were staying in an Airbnb a couple summers ago and, um, I saw this native American man and he was staying at the door and he was really, I felt, and now you could totally tell me if I'm wrong, you can do a replay for me, but I yeah. felt that he was super dark and angry. And so I was just setting up clear boundaries. Like you're not welcome in here, please leave. Um, you know, don't come back. And he totally respected that and he left and everything was fine. But We come to find out later that weekend that we found a picture of a Native American man behind some door that in a room none of us had been in and that the Airbnb was built on the land of his people from however long ago. And so he, I felt like he was pissed. Um, So that was my experience. So that's kind of how I have navigated that. So what happened is he was neutral because he was a spirit. All spirits are pure love. You were processing that through your frame of reference. So it was your fear 
that made him feel scary Mm. because you were going, oh my God, there's this Native American guy and he looks mad. Well, whether he, he obviously wasn't mad, but he looked mad to you. So your brain immediately went to, oh my God, this is a negative spirit, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you went down the rabbit hole. So yeah. Yeah. Isn't that fun though? When, when you find corroborating evidence. Oh God. We were all like, what the hell? And everyone in the house. So one of the girls I was with is a medium and it's like so tapped in and the other girls are like me, very intuitive, very connected. So we felt like all of our energy just like brought this stuff forward. And then we were just mind blown the whole weekend after we find this picture and we're like, what the hell is going on? Well, it goes back to the Ouija board, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, most kids have, played with the Ouija board or at least know what it is at some point. And, and when you start off with the Ouija board, you're freaked out before you even get going. Cause you're thinking, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Is somebody going to, so you're already in a negative vibration anyway. So true. When that gets going. It's a funny story on the American or the native Americans. Uh, several years ago at Thanksgiving, our son was home. Jonathan was home from LA and, and we were having Thanksgiving at his, um, now wife's family, like a great aunt or somebody. And it was out near this place called Gravity Hill, Kelly. And I had read about it and I thought, oh, we need to go do it. So after Thanksgiving dinner, Jonathan and Tim, my husband and I went and I said, we're going to go to Gravity Hill and see what it is. So it's this hill that you come down and it comes down to a four lane road at a stop sign. And what you do is you put your car in neutral and it pulls your car back up the road honest to God, we did it three times and it pulled the car back up the road five miles an hour. It was so cool. So of course, you know, what am I doing? I'm, I'm scanning the area. I'm thinking, okay, Indian burial ground or something like that. There was down the road quite a ways, but there was a vortex of energy. It was, uh, you hear about like in Sedona and places like that, Santa Fe, where there are vortexes of energy in, uh, in the topography of the land, I think both coasts, the West coast, especially look at all the creativity that comes out of the Mm -hmm. West coast, you know, all up and down the coast and same thing on the East coast as well. You got New York, you got, you know, the research triangle in like North Carolina, you got DC, you got all that stuff on those coasts. And then there are places in between. So I think to your point in that Airbnb, there was some vortex of energy there that you guys were picking up on and, uh, and it, how cool that you were all together and you were able to see that. Yeah. So epic. Oh, this is so interesting. Okay. So I know that you have written about this. Um, so people should read your books, of course, but I'm just curious what happens right before and right when and right after someone dies. Well, as they're approaching death, whether it's the case of an instant death, like in a homicide or a suicide, or whether it's stretched out over days, weeks, months, there's a gal that calls into, has called into my show many times. And her father was dying of Alzheimer's and took two years to die. And he was in phase 11 of 12 for two years. So again, time doesn't exist in the spirit world. It's a human concoction. It's a human invention. So the concept of time doesn't even exist. A hundred lifetimes in our reality may not even be a blip on the radar screen in the spirit world. 
So what happens is the spirit exits the body through the top of the head. The body is inside the spirit. Again, 12 years of Catholic schools taught by nuns. I was taught that the spirit is somewhere in the chest area, not what I perceive. What I perceive is that the body is inside the spirit and the spirit is the power source for the body, which is why when somebody dies and their spirit and their body separate, the body doesn't work anymore. Okay. so. An analogy I use a lot for this is imagine going to the pet store and buying a goldfish. They're going to put it in a plastic bag of water in order for you to get it home. Well, if you have a picture of that in your mind's eye, the goldfish represents our body. The water that it's swimming in represents our spirit. And the plastic bag represents an energy field membrane that is the container for all of it. Mm. And so that's what I, I utilize those analogies when I'm doing healings and when I'm teaching people about what happens when somebody dies. So as somebody is dying, the spirit exits through the top of the head and it holds on to the top of the head, Kelly, and it looks like a cartoon caption bubble, the kind that you'd see where the words or the thoughts of the character are in there. And people who have experienced near death all over the world, regardless of education level, socioeconomic level, sex, I mean, whatever, age, they, a lot of them talk about going through a tunnel and seeing a light at the end of a tunnel. So that's what is happening when the spirit is exiting the body. Hangs on to the top of the head in this spirit bubble configuration. And then the next thing that happens is the closest deceased person on the maternal side of the person who's dying. So for instance, if you were dying, it would be your mother. If I was dying, it would be my mother. If my mother was still alive, it would be my maternal grandmother. If she was still alive, it would be her mother, my maternal great-grandmother. It's always the maternal line that runs the show from the spirit world when somebody's dying, which I find fascinating. Yeah. It's not angels. you know. It's not St. Peter with his clipboard deciding whether you're going to get into heaven or not. As you're dying, it's all the maternal spirit. And as a mother and a grandmother, I can tell you, we think we're done when our kids are grown. No, we're running things from the spirit. We're with things from the grave. So they show up, she shows up, and then the paternal spirit, again, on the maternal side. So your dad's still alive. It would be your maternal grandfather if he's deceased. If he's still alive, it would be your maternal great-grandfather all on the maternal line, which is interesting too, because to me, because in Judaism, especially the children aren't Jewish unless the mother's Jewish. Right. So in, in couples where the mom is not Jewish, I know several families where the mother converted so that because the, the kids were going to be raised Jewish, but the kids weren't considered Jewish. So I'm, I know there's a correlation there yeah, somehow with that maternal line thing. And then the next thing that happens is that mother spirit brings in angels and there's a circle of angels that forms around the person who's dying. And they, these are big angels. These look like Catholic school girl angels, <laughs> you know, big wings, white gown the whole nine yards. Is that what angels really look like? Who knows? Somebody that grew up in an indigenous culture, you know, in the Amazon may see angels as a blob of purple energy, 
but that's how they appear to me because we're always going to process things through our frame of reference. Mm -hmm. And then as the person gets closer to death, that circle of angels opens into a horseshoe, eventually into a straight line that goes across their feet. For instance, if they're in a bed and um, it's the line of demarcation between the spirit world and our human world. And again, this can happen instantly. It can take days, weeks, months. It can go, you know, for long periods of time. A couple of other interesting nuances as someone is approaching death. They're midway through. There are two extra angels that show up and position themselves on either side of the spirit bubble. <laughs> and Kelly, the interesting thing is their, their wings start to move as I perceive it. And they reminded me the first time I saw it was with my own mother. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this is like giant owl wings. Slow, rhythmic, could almost feel the drag. If you've ever seen a documentary on owls or a show about owls, you know, they're silent, but they're so powerful. And as their wings move over time, it creates a vortex on top of where the spirit bubble is. And that vortex feels like a pull up. It reminds me of driving through the car wash at the end of the car wash when you're in the car and they turn the dryers on it, suck all the water yeah. off your car. That's what it feels like. And that's what helps the spirit exit and detach from the body. And when I was writing angelic attendance, I thought, yeah, just for kicks, I'm going to Google owls, wings, vortex. Come to find out there's this thing called the wingtip vortex, which is an aeronautical engineering phenomenon. There are thousands and thousands of pages, online drawings. Every bug, every bird, every plane, every jet, every kite, how it gets lift is there's a wingtip vortex, this little spinning, looks like a funnel cloud of a tornado that causes the lift. And so I thought, oh my word, the angels in the spirit world are doing something that's manifesting that I can feel in the physical world that's helping my mother's spirit detach from her body. I love it when science catches up with woo-woo. Yes. It was, it was wild when I discovered that. Wow. That's amazing. So I want to share a little bit about what happened when my mom was passing, because what you just said is so interesting. Um, and I would love for your take on this. So, um, the night before she passed away, we had gotten her home and at, at home hospice out of the hospital so she could be home and things got really bad really quickly. And that night I went and I said goodnight to her and she was still like in and out saying some words. And then the next morning, um, she, she was like, she was not there. Like she was still breathing, but I walked into the room and I immediately was like, oh, her soul is just not in her body right now. Like that's what it felt like to me. It felt like very detached and she wasn't communicating anymore. And she was just kind of looking up into the sky and that was it. And I laid with her for a few hours in the bed and then all of a sudden I looked over to my right and my mom's mom passed away a little over 10 years ago and we were very close and she's my like main spirit guide and she we're Mexican. So I call her Wella. So I look over in the corner and I see my Wella and my mom standing there. Yeah. And I said, I look over and I'm glad I have all this sort of knowledge, at, at least as much as I do to know what, 
what to do. And so I knew to ask, like, why are you here? What are you doing there? I was like, mom, why are you standing in the corner? And she goes, I have to watch this. Like, I need to see this. And I was like, okay. And so for the entire rest of the afternoon, she passed away around 1 p.m. She just stood there in the corner with my grandmother and watched as my brother and I laid there and held her and talked to her and loved on her and my dad. And then family members were coming in and out. And then she passed around one o'clock. Um, and the way she passed, my cousin walks in um, and my cousin actually has special needs. And she and my mom were very close and she couldn't look at my mom. She was very scared. And so we walked her in with, you know, covering her eyes and we just laid her next to my mom and she put her hand on my mom and my mom took maybe five more breaths and that was it. And for me, my grandmother was also very close with my cousin. I felt like that was the, okay, it's time to go moment. And that my cousin was sort of the one facilitating that with my grandmother. And I know that I'm sure a lot of people are like, you just made all of this up, but that's just how it felt to me and what yeah. I was seeing in the room. So I would love your yeah. perspective on this. Yeah. You didn't make any of it up. No, you didn't make any of it up. Uh, I think what it was, was your mom was waiting for your cousin to get there mm -hmm. before she exited is what was going on. Cause we all decide when we go, where we go, how we go, who's with us when we go and what the circumstances are. And people say, well, how do you know that? I said, talk to any funeral director anywhere in the world. They have millions of stories about the family sat with grandma for three weeks and aunt Susie got out, left the room. She was alone with grandma. She left the room to go get a cup of coffee and grandma slipped away while aunt Susie was out of the room. I mean, we're all totally in control of what's happening. And what was happening with your mom standing with your grandmother is that our spirits, we're, we're made in the image and likeness of God. And most of us think, okay, God looks like some old man, you know, sitting on a throne on a cloud someplace up in the sky. Long white beard, long white hair. Looks like Dumbledore from Harry yeah. Potter, Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, father time figure. But what I believe is that we're made in the image and likeness of God in spirit form. God is everywhere all at the same time. So do we have the ability to do that in spirit form? And there are some schools of thought, Kelly, that part of our spirit is always in non-physical and then part of our spirit is here. And even that there are multiple realities going on all at the same time. That's a lot for our human minds to try and wrap themselves around. And there are people who are way smarter than I am that need to figure that out. Is it feasible? <laughs> Absolutely. I have seen past lives on different planets for clients. I have seen, I, I can tap into something and I have a friend that lives in Nashville and there's in her yard, it's built, her neighborhood's built on an old plantation. And in the back corner of her yard is the foundation of where there was a chapel there. And it's just the foundation left and there are some graves around it. And, and I see when I'm in her guest room, I see turn of the century dressed people, turn of the 20th century. So, you know, like late 1800s people in their Sunday best walking towards where the chapel was. So I'm thinking, okay, these guys are walking to church and I turn my abilities probably like you on and off at will. 
I don't walk around scanning people. Yeah. I mean, or scanning. I mean, that would be obnoxious. And that would be exhausting, so I'm sure, for you. It would be exhausting. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. So I turn my, it takes me a nanosecond. This is what I teach people in my class how to do all this stuff. But is that a concurrent reality? Probably. You know, is it something that's happening at the same time where while our reality is happening right now? It's feasible. I don't know, but it's feasible. When I ask the question, I get a yes. That's exactly what's happening. Wow. Yeah. How do you, wow. how do you wrap your, your human mind around the fact that we'll never truly know all these details and things and that it happens as it's meant to, and we do what we do with what we know? Well, I think life is an adventure and we're here to create and I know when we go back to non-physical, we know all this stuff. It's kind of like you go, you know, you go on a, um, go to a haunted house at Halloween, right? You don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's probably going to be scary. You're probably going to scream and you'll be, you'll be, somebody's going to jump out at you probably more than once as you're going through the haunted house. But you go through it because of the adventure of it. And it's fun. If we people say to me, well, I just wish I knew what was going to happen. And I wish I knew what was unfolding. And I say, well, the day will come when you will, but you'll be dead. So it's not going to be as much fun. (laughs) Spirits see incarnation as in human form as fun. Even stuff that we see people experience that's horrific. Again, spirits just see that as an experience not good or bad. It's just an experience and something good comes out of every experience. So we grow from that. We expand from that. And so I don't, I just, at this age, at 61, I'm in it for the adventure. It's like, Oh, that's going to be interesting. Watch how that unfolds and watch how that unfolds. Certainly when I was younger, when I was your age and even younger, I, you know, I tried to control things like we all do. And what I have found with age and with a lot of experience is I don't really try and control much of anything anymore because it always unfolds in ways that are better than what I could, could have envisioned. And what I've decided is that when we follow a certain plan, you know, I'm a businesswoman. I had business plans, measurables, you know, investors, that kind of stuff. And so when you have a set way, okay, you're going to do this, this, and this, and then it's you're going to get this outcome. There is not a business plan that's ever been written by any size company that's ever been followed to the letter right. ever because life happens. So what I have found is when we just go, okay, well, I kind of like to do that. And then just, just see what happens. I, I use the analogy a lot, Kelly, that we're all on the yellow brick road, like in the wizard of Oz. And we're all wearing the ruby slippers or ruby shoes. If you're a guy, you don't have to wear ruby slippers. And we, a brick lights up. The a yellow, brick, yellow brick road only goes one direction towards Oz, which is Nirvana. So a brick lights up, you step on it. You may land in a field of puppies and take a nap. Okay, cool. Another brick lights up. You may end up in a wicked witch's castle and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is so scary. This is so awful. But what do you find when you're in the wicked witch's castle? All it takes is throwing a bucket of water on her and she melts. Mm. Right? So everything that's even horrific 
it's all leading us. It's all benefiting us in some way. And so if you look at life as the yellow brick road, a brick lights up, you step on that. Okay. What's that adventure going to be? Another brick lights up. I find when we think too far in advance, what happens is we go into brain freeze because there's no way our human brains can come up with all the different variables of potential outcomes. I don't know that the algorithms are even possible to do that. So it paralyzes us with fear. So you use a two minute rule, you step through it, you take another step. Wow. That's so good. I love that so much. You're wearing the ruby slippers, girl. You knew that already. That's though, right. <laughs> I had a feeling. Okay. So we talked about you doing a live reading for us so people can yeah. get an, an experience, a little look into what it's like working with you and, and a lot yeah. of people that have never talked to someone who does what you do. So let's do it. I'm game. What do you want to do? Um, I would love to um, connect with my mom and. Okay. Yeah. Just see what comes forward from her, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me her name. What's her first name, Kelly? Viviana. V-I-V-I-A-N-A. Oh, how pretty. Okay. Viviana. So again, back to the concept that our heads are big satellite dishes and they receive and they transmit frequencies. Every spirit has its own frequency. Every spirit keeps that frequency throughout all of its lifetimes. How we connect with somebody who's a spirit, whether it's your mom, whether you, no matter who you want to talk to, who you want to talk to, Mother Teresa, Confucius, you know, (laughs) Aristotle, it doesn't matter. You think of them that immediately connects your, your satellite dish head to that person's frequency. She's standing to your right. She's right to your right. That's where they always show up when I see them. And they, um, The interesting thing about it is they'll let you know that they're around you. If you're doing something just random, like folding laundry or cleaning the dishes or making dinner or whatever, and she comes into your mind just out of the blue, that's her letting you know she's around you. So that's, that's the other thing to remember. And then it's really important to remember that spirits are really literal. And we can, you can talk to any spirit you're doing, you know how to do it already. But for your listeners who don't, you say something either aloud or in your head and you can ask a question or make a statement. Spirit's going to communicate telepathically and that thought's going to come in. It's going to feel like it's your thought. How you know it's spirit is it happens within a second, as fast as you can snap your fingers. If you think about it for more than a couple of seconds, that's going to be your brain talking to you. And spirits are really literal. So how useful the information is that we get is going to be predicated on how we ask the question. For instance, you say, hey, mom, am I going to enjoy the movie? And you get a yes. comes in your head instantly. And you're watching some movie tonight and you're thinking, this is awful. I can't watch this. This is just atrocious. Mom, what's up with that? That's one way of her. Get of you getting advice from her. Another way would be, you know, in that first way, it could pertain to any movie that you see in the rest of your life, right? So what you want to, how you want to do it is you want to say something like, mom, am I going to enjoy watching Frozen 2 on Disney Plus tonight on TV? And you get a, yeah. See the difference in how you've asked the question. Mm -hmm. So I tell people, start off with stuff that doesn't matter in practice. 
am I going to enjoy this chocolate chip cookie more or this peanut butter cookie more? Does it really matter in the big scope of your life? Probably not. But you're going to get an answer. And the more you do it, the more you're going to get comfortable with it. The more you do it, the more validation you're going to get, the more you trust it. It's just going to come in, then it will just be second nature. So the other thing with spirits for me, what I do is I like to start off with a few questions because that gets the conversation kind of prime in the pump. And then, and then they usually are pretty chatty after that. So do you have something that you'd like to ask your mom or say to your mom? Um, yeah, I think the thing that's been the hardest for me to sort of grapple with is that we didn't get to have that final conversation before she passed away. And so the thing that I have been wondering is that, is there anything that she wanted to tell me before she died? Follow your heart is what came in. Follow your heart. Uh, she's saying you can have a conversation with her now. It didn't have to happen before she died. She's like, you talk to, she says you talk to her all the time. I do. <laughs> yeah. So she's saying, well, what, there's no, you know, that's not, not, you didn't have a conversation with her when she was still alive, but that's the thing. You can have a conversation with them forever. So, yeah, she's saying, follow your heart. She said that you have a really big heart and you have gotten it hurt on more than one occasion. And so you tend to protect it. And so she's saying that if you lead with your heart, use the two minute rule that Julie just taught you. There you go. (laughs) And she's saying that you, you will, you will be guided to whatever it is you're exploring. She's saying you're brilliant. She's she's saying you're brilliant, you're beautiful, and you have a big heart, but you close it off a lot. Is that true? Um, yeah, I definitely protect myself. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, so. a deep fear of abandonment. And so I think that's where I always like, I like to be in control. I like to be somewhat closed off so that I can ma- manage what happens. which is all false yeah yeah and the other thing that's really important to remember kelly is nobody can affect our lives and we can't affect anybody else's lives because nobody can control our thoughts and we can't control anybody else's thoughts so when you understand that that control thing drops away and you can say, okay, I'm just going to go where I'm led. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. If it feels bad, I'm going to use a two minute rule. I'm going to disrupt that frequency and get back to something that feels good. And in an attractive universe, we attract good feeling things. When we feel bad, we attract more bad feeling things. And it doesn't have to be, you know, how they have these vision boards and, you know, um, affirmations and stuff like that. Well, that's all fine and good. But if you just follow what feels good, you're going to be led and things are going to unfold in ways that are going to be even better than what you can imagine. And the more you do that, the more you'll experience that and then you learn to trust it. And then it just flows and it's so easy. People say to me, well, how can it be that simple? It just is. If it feels good, it's authentic. If it feels bad, it's not. Look at it from a different perspective. Yeah. Good. Okay. 
That's, so, only, that's the only real question that I had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's all about you and babies. Was she like, oh, God. Yeah, the baby thing. That's funny so, because my mom didn't want me to have kids for like a long time. She was like, wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Yeah. But now I feel as honestly, so my boyfriend and I have to do IVF because um, we can't get pregnant naturally. And I was putting off making this appointment for so long. And as soon as she passed away, I made the appointment and I was, I thought that that was so weird, but I just felt this like deep urge. I need to go do this now. Like it's now it's time for me to become a mom. She's all about that. Yeah. She's all about that. So she wants me to tell you about the baby spirits that are over your shoulder. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Baby spirits hang out over the mom's shoulder and they attach to the mom's energy field before they incarnate, before they're conceived. And they look like orbs that you see in a photograph, like if maybe a family photograph, you'll see orbs. And a lot of times we'll think, oh, the light was screwy or that was a speck of dust. No, that's a spirit. Sometimes you can blow up the orbs and you can see faces in them, which is really fun. So baby spirits hang out over the mom's energy field. You have three baby spirits over your energy field right now. They're not triplets, but they're lined up like planes coming into LAX (laughs) at night with their landing lights on, you know, and they're stacked in the distance Mm -hmm. and you can see that it's three different times. That doesn't mean they're all going to incarnate, but it means that you have the potential to have three children. The other thing that's really important to remember too, Kelly, and and I want all your listeners to hear this too, is that baby spirits attach to the birth mother's energy field and they attach to the adopted mother's energy field before they're conceived. Wow. Yeah. The first time I saw that was probably 15 years ago, maybe. And I was at a party and a friend excuse me, introduced me to one of her friends and she had a cold or something. She wanted me to scan her. I'd never met this woman. And so I got her on my radar. Well, she's got baby's energy, like baby's ready to be born energy on top of each shoulder. She didn't look pregnant to me. And I said, I just got to tell you, are you pregnant with twins or do you have twins? Or are you going to get twins or something with twins? She burst into tears. I thought, oh no, I've offended this woman. And she said, no, no, it's okay. This was a Saturday night. She said, on Wednesday, we're flying to Guatemala because we're adopting twins and they're going to be born by C-section on Friday. Oh my gosh. So the first time, that was the first time I knew that adopted babies energy attached to the mom's energy field. And I've seen it many, countless times since. The other important thing is in the 12 phases of transition, it's the adopted mother who runs the show from the spirit world. The birth mother's there, but it's the adopted mother. It's the mother that raises the child who is running things from the spirit world. And so I think it's important to get that information out to all of the moms who have adopted babies and dads and all of the babies who've been adopted who are now adults. I think it's really just a heartwarming fact of life. So every reading I've had, they've said that I have three spirit babies waiting. And that is so funny because they always have like the caveat of it doesn't mean you're going to give birth to three babies. And Connor and I really want to have two kids of our own and adopt a third. Right. 
there you go. Yeah. Well, there's some, I just got chills on that one. Yeah. That's why I was led to tell you about the adopted baby thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Cool. That's amazing. Cool. So your mom's saying she'll be with you through all of it and that you'll do just fine and you'll do great. And, uh, you know, just don't, don't worry about it. She had a sense of humor, didn't she? Oh my gosh. Oh. Let me tell you. She, she just said, she said hundreds of millions of women, if not billions of women have given birth and survived and you will too. (laughs) (laughs) My mom always had a way because I made a big deal about everything. I tended to be really dramatic when I was younger and she would always find a way to like make fun of me and be like, you're fine. (laughs) Yeah. So um, she's letting you know, you'll be fine when you give birth because billions of women have done it and survived. Yeah. I was laying in yoga right after she passed and, um, I was, I was like asking for her and, um, all of a sudden I felt her laying on top of me like three inches from my face. But then I got into my head about it and I was like, is that really you? This feels weird. I don't know. And she just pulled my ear and goes, do I need to yell? Yes, it's me. And I was just like, oh, oh, yes, it's you. (laughs) Like only you would respond that way. Yeah. Yeah. And when I talk to people who transition and they're in non-physical and they're in spirit form, they tell me it's great because I'm with them more in non-physical than I was in physical. And they can be with you and with their other loved ones all at the same time. So did you ever watch the TV show Bewitched? Oh, yes. That was one of my favorite shows with my mom. Me too. And when I was little, I used to think, I want to be like Samantha Stevens when I grow up. Yeah. And now we are because what happens? She would call her mother and Endora would come in or she'd call Uncle Arthur and Uncle Arthur would come in or she'd snap her fingers and she'd be in a different location. Well, that's what we all do. That's what I teach. Everybody can do it. Everybody has the ability. Little children come in with this ability and it starts, they start to shut it down at the age of about seven ish because they have parents and adults and teachers that say, Oh, honey, that's just your imagination. Mm -hmm. That's not real. So they learn to distrust their intuitive, you know, knowledge. So I, I have a a children's book that's out that I wrote because I had so many moms say, you know, how can I explain this to my child? And, uh, and so they all have it. The stories are just endless of things that little people know they can't even read yet. And they know stuff that can be validated with historic documents online. So it's fascinating. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. That was so wonderful. I loved that conversation and just getting to meet you and you're so special and I love your take on things. It's very different than anything I've ever heard. And I appreciate that so much. There's such a a grounded energy to the way you speak and teach. And I think that's so important so that you can reach more people and, and bring this uh, wisdom and guidance to them. So thank you so much. You are most welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to do so now and head to ratethispodcast.com slash Kelly to leave a five-star review. And as a bonus for doing that, if you send me a screenshot of your review before you submit, I will get you a little thank you gift in the mail. All right, we have another juicy episode coming for you next week, so stay tuned. And as always, if I can support you in any way, 
please reach out. Remember, I'm just a DM or an email away. See you guys soon. 